Hey, welcome to First Church. So glad you guys are here. If you are new, my name is Chad. We hope you feel welcome and right at home. In addition to everybody that we have here on site, I know we have a whole bunch of people joining us online right now as well. I checked before I came out. We've got Fred and Linda in Virginia. We've got Amber and Les in Greece right now watching. Uh, we also have the Wheeler family and Claremore, Oklahoma, and a bunch of others. So if you are here on site, would you put your hands together? Get loud. Welcome in our online family. So happy to have you guys, and today is another exciting day here at First Church. God is doing just so many incredible things. Last Sunday was groundbreaking Sunday, and it was a fun day, and we were supposed to break ground this past week, as we announced, but if you've ever been part of a major construction project, you know that uh, things don't always go as planned, and so we, our construction or our groundbreaking day was actually pushed back a week, should happen this week. We just want to let you know that starting next Sunday, there are going to be some changes because of the construction process, and this is all good, and we're excited about it, but there may be some differences that you will notice, and so we're going to be sending out an email whenever we have to make these changes, like we have to shut down certain entrances and stuff like that, so be watching your email, but also we're going to have plenty of volunteers here to coach you through it, and we're going to try to make this as easy as we possibly can, but this is a time for us to love like Jesus, because in the midst of construction, when things get a little crazy and messy, it's our time to love like Jesus and to show people the good news that we believe in. And also, it's a time to keep inviting people to church as well because people can show up and from the moment they step foot on our campus can see in a tangible way the growth that God is causing in this place. So this is a fun and exciting time. I can't wait for this next season, but we ask your prayers as we move forward together. And I'm also pumped because today is week three of our relationship series, which we're calling It's Complicated. And I think this series is so needed right now in our culture today because when you look around our world, you see so much relational carnage, so much disappointment and frustration because of relationships. And I think we need to take some time every now and then just to pause and look at God's perspective on relationships to make sure that we are doing them his way. Because the Bible says this in the book of Philippians. It says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. You see, God designed us, God created us, and he created relationships for our good because he knows that we're not at our best when we're alone, that we are better together. And so God established, he created things like marriage and the family and friendships and community so that we could be better together. And so if our relationships are grounded in him, then they will be strong and fulfilling and satisfying, but... We also have an enemy who likes to hijack what God intended for our good. Satan loves to corrupt what God intended for our good. And he'll do just that if we will let him. And I think that's one reason why you see so much frustration, so much disappointment and discouragement when it comes to relationships in our culture today. Because there's a way to do relationships that's right, that's God's way, that is fulfilling and satisfying. But then there are other ways to do relationships. Those other ways are often toxic. And here's the thing, when your relationships start to be toxic, what ends up happening is they stay there. See, relationships don't self-correct. They don't auto-correct. And if you're like me and you use auto-correct on your phone, it doesn't always come across like you want it to either, right? I mean, our relationships, they don't auto-correct. They don't self-correct. It takes intentional commitment 
to God's ways, to doing our relationships God's way. And so we want to let you know that no matter where you are right now in life, in your relationships, God's will can meet you where you are. See, we're not asking you to go back in time and fix past relational mistakes. You can't do that. That's impossible. God's not asking you to do that. We can't turn back time and fix the mistakes that we made in our past, and we've all made them, haven't we? But from this day forward, we can commit ourselves to doing our relationships God's way. And the Bible gives us this promise. It says that when we commit to the Lord, whatever we do, he will establish our plans. It doesn't mean that our relationships will be perfect if we commit ourselves to doing them God's way because we're still sinful people living in a sinful world. But when we commit our relationships to God's ways, he will establish them. In other words, he will strengthen them. He will give us the support and the encouragement and the wisdom that we need so that our relationships can be what he intended for them to be. And hopefully this is encouraging to you today. Because like I said, there are a lot of relational problems in our world today. And our church, we're not here to embarrass anybody or point out anybody else's you know, past mistakes or judge you or condemn you or anything like that. That's not what we're here to do. Some churches do that in a relationship series. We don't do that. What we're here today to let you know is from this day forward, if you will commit yourself to doing your relationships God's way, you will find strength and peace and joy and fulfillment in those relationships like you've never had before. And I hope this brings you some encouragement because all relationships at times struggle. They do. All relationships at times drift. And some drift further than others. Some have bigger problems than others. But all relationships struggle at times. And one of the primary reasons why relationships often struggle is because of this right here. Because of unrealistic expectations. It doesn't matter if it's a marriage or a friendship or a family relationship or some other relationship. We all bring certain expectations into those commitments. And here's the thing, our personal expectations, which can often be selfish in nature, our personal expectations, well, they don't always line up with reality. In fact, sometimes there's a major gap between what we expect and the way things really are. And the problem is that our relationships are often focused on what we want. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been to a lot of weddings in my life, and I've attended them, I've been a part of them, probably you have as well. And one thing that I have noticed over and over again is that weddings don't often turn out the way that the bride and groom expect. Now, sometimes things go wrong, right? They have all these great plans, mainly the bride, but still have all these great plans of how things are going to turn out, and things don't always go as planned. It was like that for Allison and my wedding. I mean, we had an awesome wedding day. It was great. It was fun. I wouldn't trade it for the world, but there were a few things that happened that didn't live up to our expectations, but we still had fun, and like I said, I wouldn't trade it, but it happens all the time. We can have all these great plans and all these great ideas. 
ideas, but sometimes life doesn't line up with our expectations. And the internet is full of videos that prove this when it comes to weddings. The internet is full of wedding fails. I'm sure these brides who had these great plans, maybe grooms too, and things just didn't turn out as they planned. And I'd like to share a couple of them with you. Like for instance, this example right here. This couple planned this beautiful wedding on the beach and look at what happened. Right in the middle of this scenic moment, yeah. That's perfect, isn't it? Great picture to remember. How about this one right here? Good picture on a dock. You know how this is gonna go. Way too much weight. Yeah, and they had even better pictures after that. How about this one right here? Now, this couple thought it would be cool to leave to sparklers, but fire and hair don't mix. We've learned this the hard way during our Christmas Eve candlelight services. But anyway, as this couple is leaving, sure enough, the bride's hair catches on fire. Here it is again in slow motion in case you missed it. Not what they anticipated. Or how about this one right here? This couple, they're getting married and they go in here in just a second to pray together. And as they do, bam, look at what happened. Yeah, sometimes... Things don't go as we anticipated, as we planned. And whether we realize it or not, we all have certain expectations, idealized, romanticized expectations that we bring with us into every relationship we enter. And maybe they're expectations that were created or formed from how we grew up, our home life. Maybe they were created or formed because of a past relationship that we had. Maybe... We have these certain expectations because of what we've seen in movies or on TV or talk shows or because of some you know, secular book that we read or whatever. We all have expectations that we bring into every relationship that we have. And the problem is my expectations are often centered on me. It's what I want out of the relationship. I think this is what should happen because this is what is going to best please me. My expectations are all about me and they can be very selfish in nature. And the Bible gives us this warning from the book of Proverbs. It says, the selfish man quarrels against every sound principle of conduct by demanding his own way. See, when you're selfish and you're constantly demanding your own way, You know what happens? You don't listen to reason anymore. You don't listen to the wisdom and advice of others because it's your way or nothing. And what you say is, I want for you to fulfill my needs. I want you to make me happy. And if we're not careful, our relationships will get stuck in the gap that exists between our personal and sometimes selfish expectations and reality. And no one likes to feel stuck. No one likes to get in a spot where they feel like there's nothing they can do to help the situation get better. I was texting my wife just the other day and I asked her how her day was going because I knew she had some stressful stuff going on. And when I asked her how her day was going, this was the video that she texted back to me. Take a look at this. Yeah, he just gave up, right? It's like, why even try? I'm not even gonna fight it. Just whatever happens, happens. I'm going with the flow. And have you ever had a day like that where you just feel like I might as well not even try? No one likes to feel that way. And yet that's how some of us feel sometimes when it comes to our relationships. 
We just like, no, no matter how hard we try, it's just not gonna get any better, so we're just stuck here where we are. And that's a lie that Satan wants for you to believe that isn't true. And so my question is, how do we fill the gap? Because God wants us to know we don't have to stay stuck in the gap that exists between our personal and selfish expectations and what he wants for our lives. Let me put it this way. How do we fill the gap between me and we? How do we bridge the gap between me, what I want, my personal desires and wants, my expectations, and we, a healthy we, a solid we, where two people are one, and having a healthy relationship like God wants for them to have, how do we bridge the gap between me and we? Well, the answer is he. And I know that that's not proper English. I should have said him. I get that. But he rhymes and you won't forget it, okay? The way that we bridge the gap between me and we is he. It's God. And I want you to hear this truth today. And if you don't hear anything else that I say today, make sure you listen to this. No one can fulfill your deepest desires but God. Let me say that again. No one can fulfill your deepest desires but God. Now, you won't hear that anywhere else but from God's word. Our culture won't tell you that. Movies won't tell you that. Talk shows won't tell you that. Books that are out there won't tell you that. Your neighbors won't tell you that. The school system won't tell students that. You won't hear that anywhere else. Social media won't tell you that. Because what our culture tells us is you need to find that one right person who will fulfill you and satisfy you and make you happy and complete you. But here's the thing. When you're looking for somebody else to complete you, to fulfill you, to satisfy you, what you're doing is you're asking another person to do for you what only God can do for you. Another person cannot complete you. Sorry, Jerry Maguire. Another person cannot complete you. Because you know what happens when you take two incomplete people and you put them together? You have two incomplete people <laughs> living under one roof. But you take two complete people who are, have been made complete in Jesus, who have their identity in him, who find their fulfillment and their satisfaction internally in him. You take two complete people who have found their identity in Jesus and put them together. That's how you get a healthy we. And like I said, you won't hear that from anywhere else. Because what we hear is there is just that one person. There's that one future spouse of yours, that soulmate, or there's that one friend or that one relationship. Maybe it's if you finally have a child or if you uh, have the right relationship with some other family member, then you'll be satisfied and happy because that other person will complete you. The problem with that is if you are looking for somebody else to complete you and make you happy and satisfy you and all that stuff, what you're doing is you're asking that person to be your savior. You're asking that person to be your God. And not only will that not work and they can't do it, you're putting way too much pressure on them. You're putting unrealistic expectations on them that they cannot fulfill. And the only thing it's going to do is lead to more and more 
frustration and disappointment in life. And here's what happens a lot of times when we try to get somebody else to satisfy us, make us happy in life, whatever. It doesn't work, and so we respond in one of three ways. The first way is we abandon the relationship. And we say, well, I need somebody who's going to fulfill me, complete me, and this person isn't doing it, so I'm just gonna move on to somebody else, and I'm gonna place my unrealistic expectations on them now. Or somebody says, well, this person isn't completing me, isn't satisfying me, and so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna fix them. I'm going to control them. I'm going to turn them into the person that they need to be for me. That doesn't work either. Or what you have is that people just settle. And they say, well, this marriage isn't what it should be. This friendship isn't what it should be, whatever. It's not what it should be. I'm just going to have to settle for frustration. Because I'm not going to divorce this person because the Bible tells me you know, not to do that. So I'm not gonna leave them or desert them or anything like that. But I'm just gonna live the rest of my life settling for the fact that I'm just gonna be disappointed. And it leads to a miserable home life. See, what God is telling us is that when we realize that no one else can fulfill our deepest desires but him, like in a marriage, our deepest needs are not met through our mate, but through our maker. When we realize that and we understand that, then we will stop putting unrealistic expectations on the people that we love. And we will start growing together as we pursue the most important relationship together, our relationship with God. See, there's this really cool and somewhat famous verse, you've probably heard at weddings and stuff like that, from Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 4.12. It says, though one may be overpowered, one can be defeated, two can defend themselves better, but a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. See, a cord of three strands is the strongest type of cord or rope that you can have because three strands are always working together. When they're tied tight and they're fastened together, each strand is always touching the other. Each strand is connected to one another, moving together, working together as one. A cord of three strands is stronger than a cord of two strands because two strands can easily come apart, even accidentally come apart. Three strands, you have to intentionally take them apart. I've even been told that a cord of three strands is stronger than a cord of four strands or five strands because a cord of three strands is the only type of cord or rope where all three strands are always touching, always together, always connected, always overlapping, always working as one. And the Bible says that this is the image we should have and try to live out for our relationships. Because in every relationship that we have, God is the third strand. God is the secret to having a healthy, dynamic, strong relationship. 
It doesn't mean that when we put him at the center of our relationships, that our relationships are not going to be perfect. Because again, we still live in a fallen world. But what it means is when our lives, our marriages, our friendships are interwoven with him, that he gives us strength that we wouldn't have on our own. That we experience contentment and joy and peace in those relationships that we would not have on our own. And we see this all the time. We see this in godly marriages. We see this in meaningful friendships. We see this in healthy families. We even see this among Christian business partners who do work together because every part of their working relationship has God involved. Our relationships will only get stronger the more we put God at the center of our relationships. Let me illustrate it another way. I'm gonna use marriage as an example, but on some level, this could be used in other relationships as well, but let's take a husband and a wife. The gap that exists between a husband and a wife is oftentimes too great for us to bridge, for us to feel on our own. I'm not sure if you guys have realized this or not, but men and women are different, okay? They are just a little bit different at times, And sometimes we see things differently, we experience things differently. Men and women are different. And oftentimes the gap that exists between a husband and wife is way too big for us to bridge on our own. So how do we bridge the gap? The Bible is telling us we put God at the center. And when we put God at the center and we together are pursuing him, The more we pursue him, it is inevitable the closer we will get to one another. That's how it works. If you want to get closer to your spouse, it starts with both of you deciding to move closer to God. He is how we bridge the gap. The closer two people are to God, the stronger their relationship will be. And as I was thinking about this biblical truth and this concept that I think is so important for us to understand today, I was thinking about different biblical examples of people who modeled this. And there were several examples that came to mind, but one kept coming to mind. And at first I resisted mentioning them today or preaching on them because this is a couple that we talk about at church, but we typically only talk about them around Christmas time. We only talk about them in the month of December and that's Joseph and Mary, Jesus' earthly parents. And we kind of save them for Christmas time, right? You don't typically hear them in like a relationship sermon or something like that. But I think we need to pay attention to them because think about it for a second. Out of all the people on earth that God could have picked to raise his son, he picked Mary and Joseph. That's a pretty big deal, isn't it? It's a pretty big honor. Out of all the people that God could have picked to create a household, a home for his son to be raised in, he picked Mary and Joseph. And what that says to me is that he saw something in their hearts that stood out to him. Because Mary and Joseph, they weren't wealthy people with a lot of resources. They weren't influential people. They were poor most of their lives. If it hadn't been for Jesus, their names probably probably would have been lost to history. But God saw something in them. God noticed something about them. And I think they're a great model 
for what a healthy relationship is supposed to look like. And here's what God saw in them. If you notice, before Joseph and Mary actually get married, we see that Mary breaks out in worship at one point. And we know she's a godly woman. The Bible has already told us that. But at one point during this song of worship, look at what Mary says to God. My soul glorifies the Lord. See, that was Mary. Mary was one who was always putting God first. God was the first relationship in her life. And she knew that she was here to glorify the Lord. That's why she existed. That was her life's purpose. And because she sought God first, well, God knew she would be a great mother, earthly mother to his son, but also a great wife to Joseph. Look at Joseph. The Bible says this, Joseph was a righteous man. Now that phrase righteous man doesn't mean that Joseph was perfect, he wasn't. Neither Mary or Joseph were perfect. They were human beings just like you and me. But what does it mean he was a righteous man? It meant that he wanted to do what was right in God's eyes. Did he mess up? Of course he did, we all do. But in his heart, he wanted to do what was right in God's eyes. God was his first and primary relationship. They had a marriage of three strands because when they came together as husband and wife, they were already two people who found their identity in God. And because of that, he was central to everything that they did. And that's important. That was important for them because Mary and Joseph don't live an easy life. Yes, God used them, but their life was full of stresses and complications. I mean, think about it. Besides the whole virgin birth thing, which, by the way, nobody was buying but them, of course. I mean, besides the whole virgin birth thing and all the stigma that was attached to that, think about what they had to give up. I mean, they had to leave their hometown and go to another town when Mary was nine months pregnant and she gives birth to Jesus in a barn or a stable somewhere, unsanitary conditions. And then after that, there's this like crazy king who wants to kill Jesus and even probably kill Mary and Joseph as well. And so they have to flee for their lives and they go to some foreign country they've never been to, Egypt, and they got to live there for a few years. And then after that, they come back and they end up settling in this podunk town of Nazareth I mean, their lives were full of complications all because God was using them for his greater purpose. And yet, in the midst of all that chaos and craziness and stigma and everything else, we see that their relationship and their family was strong, not perfect, but strong. And God continued to use them over and over again. Why? Because God was their third strand. And when God is at the center of your relationship, I think a few things happen, and this is modeled in the lives of Mary and Joseph. The first is this. You end up having a strong relationship that reflects God's grace. See, when God is at the center of your relationship, you will be full of his grace. You will know your need for his grace. And so because you are full of his grace, because you are seeking him, his grace will then overflow to those around you, including those you love. See, most problems that happen in our relationships don't happen because of our differences. But they actually happen because of what we have in common. And you know what we all have in common? Sin. Sin is a language we're all fluent in. And because of sin... We often 
turn on one another. And it's easy for us to start to think that we're better than the person that we love. But relationships will always struggle when one person thinks that he or she is less sinful than the other. When one person thinks that somebody else needs more grace than they do. Relationships will struggle. And that's what I love about Joseph. In Matthew 1, verse 19, we read this. It says, because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. See, when Joseph finds out that Mary is pregnant, he believes that babies only come about by one way, right? And he has not been with Mary. So what does that mean? It means that Mary has cheated on him. And even though Joseph believes that Mary has cheated on him and he had every right to expose her to public disgrace, he had every right to publicly shame her. Every other man in his day and age would have done that because then that took all the heat off you because then you could then turn around and start a new life with somebody else. It wasn't your fault that she had messed up. And so every other righteous man in Joseph's day and age would have exposed Mary to public shame and disgrace and let her deal with all the consequences. But even though Joseph believes Mary has done something wrong, cheated on him, what does he do? He still decides to divorce her because there are some sins that do break a marriage covenant. They're not even married yet, but in this day and age, you had to have a public divorce just to break off an official engagement but he's gonna do so with grace. He's gonna do so with grace. There's this verse in 1 Corinthians that says this. It says, love keeps no record of wrongs. And we love to apply that to God's love for us. You know, God keeps no record of our wrongs. But do we always apply that to one another like we should? Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Let me be clear about this. This is not an excuse for anyone to ever intentionally hurt you or abuse you. It's not. And there are some sins that do break a marriage covenant and the Bible allows for that. So this is not an excuse for somebody to continue to abuse you or hurt you. God doesn't want that for you, but even if, let's say we're talking about a marriage here and it comes to the point that the marriage has to end. It breaks God's heart, but sometimes it happens and we know it does. You can still handle that situation with grace because God has shown all of us grace when we don't deserve it. Now here's the thing, we're talking about some big issues you know, right now, but a lot of times when we don't show grace is in the small stuff, right? The daily stuff. We have a tendency to be record keepers. And when somebody who we love or care about does something against us, well, we wanna get the upper hand. And so we pull out this whole list of past sins that they've committed against us. And we're like, hey, do you remember when you did that? Remember when you did that? Remember when you did that? We start pulling out all this past sin. And the Bible says true love doesn't act like that. It keeps no record of wrongs, meaning true love doesn't keep score. Instead, we are gracious people, which means our first response isn't judgment, but it's grace. Our first response isn't automatically assuming the worst and trying to get even, but it's believing the best and that God has better intentions for that person. Jesus says in Matthew chapter seven, 
Treat others as you would want them to treat you. And honestly, I don't think we need any other relational advice than that right there. If we just did this in our culture, do you realize how much better our relationships would be? But that's not what our world teaches. Our world says, you gotta get the upper hand. And God says, you gotta be people of grace. Second, strong relationships share a common purpose. You see, every single relationship, whether it's a marriage or friendship or family relationship, whatever, every single relationship is a calling. We have a calling attached to it because every single relationship we have is supposed to display the character and the nature of God. Every single relationship we have is supposed to display the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why I love Mary's response in this passage when she says, I am the Lord's servant. She's saying this to the angel who's just told her God's plans for her and she's all confused, but she says, I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. In other words, God, whatever you want, I'll do it. It may be hard, it may be difficult, but I'll do whatever you're asking of me because I know my life has a bigger purpose than just what I want out of it. And that's what we need to remember as well. You see, believing in Jesus as a couple is not enough to make your marriage stronger. You've gotta live for Jesus. You've gotta make sure that you are following him together because when you don't share a common vision, what you end up with is competing visions. And you're gonna go after what you want and he or she's gonna go after what they want. But when you're both focused on God and you realize you're both living for a greater purpose, then you have a common vision that you're trying to live out. And the world should look at our marriages and our friendships and our other relationships in such a way where they see love like they don't see out there in the world. Commitment and strength and joy and peace that they can't find anywhere else. And that leads me to the final thing we can learn from Mary and Joseph, and that is that strong relationships practice you before me. Do you know how much Joseph had to give up by marrying Mary and raising Jesus? I mean, his career plans changed. He had to leave his hometown for a while. He had to go to a foreign country. He had to escape some evil king. I mean, and he had to live with stigma for the rest of his life because, again, nobody was buying the virgin birth story, okay? He, but he gave up all that. You know how much Mary had to give up? Her reputation, her status among her peers, her comforts. There wasn't Mary had to give up. They both gave up so much, but they continued to make sacrifices for one another and for Jesus and for the rest of the children that they would have because they knew that they were living for a greater purpose. And because they had a strong relationship with God, they practiced you before me because that's what God had done for them. See, God could have left us in our sin. God could have abandoned us, but he didn't instead. He chose to come and die on a cross for us. He put us before his own comfort so that he could lift us up. And that's what he asked us to do for one another. And when both people in a relationship are practicing you before me, you know what happens? The world sees he the world sees God on display. Let me just say, if you're single right now and you're dating somebody or you may be dating somebody in the future or you want to date somebody in the future, if you're single right now, if you ever end up dating somebody who has a me first mindset, 
that's a recipe for a toxic relationship. And that's not of God. God does not want you with somebody who always has a me first mindset. God is telling us to have a healthy relationship. It needs to be two people who live with the mindset, you before me. And when people see that lived out, you before me, they notice. Because the world isn't full of a lot of examples like that. Robert, Robertson McQuilkin was president of Columbia Bible College and Seminary for years. He devoted his life to that school and it grew under his leadership. But in 1990, he had to resign from his post. Well, he didn't have to, but he chose to. See, his wife of many years was diagnosed with Alzheimer's and because of that, she needed his care all the time. He had a choice. He could put her in an institution if he wanted to, but he chose not to because he knew that she was happiest when he was around. She had the most comfort when he was around. And so he resigned from his position as president of this college, and I want you to listen to a clip of his resignation speech. I haven't in my life experienced easy decision-making on major decisions, but uh, one of the simplest and clearest decisions I've had to make is this one, because circumstances dictated it. Uh, Muriel, now, uh, in the last couple of months, seems to be almost happy when with me, and almost never happy when not with me. In fact, she seems to feel trapped, becomes very fearful, sometimes almost terror. And when she can't get to me, there can be anger. She's in distress. But when I'm with her, she's happy and contented. And so I must be with her at all times. And you see, it's not only that I promised in sickness and in health, till death do us part. And I'm a man of my word. But as I have said, I don't know with this group, but I've said publicly, it's the only fair thing she sacrificed for me for 40 years to make my life possible. So, if I cared for her for 40 years, I'd still be in debt. However, there's much more. It's not that I have to, it's that I get to. I love her very dearly, and you can tell it's not easy to talk about. She's a delight. It's a great honor to care for such a wonderful person. I love that line, I don't have to, I get to. That's the heart of our God. And that video, it happened in 1990, or the speech was made in 1990. It's now been viewed hundreds of thousands of times. Why is it so many people are drawn to that? Because that's so rare in our world today. But when we do our relationships God's way, people will see that type of commitment, that type of love. Because he will be our third strand that gives us the strength that we need so that our relations will be exactly what they were created and designed to be. You wanna know what happens when you put 
you before me, the world ends up seeing he. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for today and this opportunity we've had to open up your word and study it and to get this reminder about your perspective on relationships. And we pray that you will be the primary first relationship in our lives and that all of our, all of our relationships, whether they be a friendship, marriage, family, relationship, whatever, will be a cord of three strands with you interwoven in it. We love you so much. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.